what we have just sung is our prayer right now. Lord, we pray that you come and fill this space. That Lord, we know that your presence is already in this room. It's tangible. But Lord, we ask as well that you fill our space. However we've come into church today, even watching online, Lord, we know that we need more of you. We need more of your Holy Spirit. So Lord, Holy Spirit, we ask, fill us afresh today. On this day, the Pentecost day, the day of celebration. Lord, this is the day, not only that you have made it and we shall rejoice and be glad in it, but Lord, we remember this day. It reminds us, Lord, of that day when you came down as the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we seek a new encounter today. Lord, our hearts are dry. We need you. Lord, all over this place right now, Holy Spirit, come. Come and fill us afresh. Fill us anew. Fill us, Lord, with your purpose. Fill us, Lord, with your glory. Refresh our hearts. Renew our spirits. Lord, pour out your anointing. Pour out your Holy Spirit on your children today in this place, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please take your seats. Say hi to someone as you take your seats. It is so good to see you all. And I thought you would be busy having your tea parties. Mmm, how wrong I was. You know, today um, or this weekend, how many of you have been celebrating the Queen's Jubilee? It's her platinum jubilee of 70 years on the throne. Um, I've looked down my street and there wasn't anything going on, but on the telly I can see it all. And it's just an exciting time. It's just a, a jubilant time where the communities are getting together and they're celebrating this wonderful woman, our Queen, and for her longevity on the throne. But as I've just mentioned, today is also a celebration for the church of God. Because today, and I think this is God's perfect timing, that not only does our whole nation be enjoying a party, but it's our party. And it culminates with the day of Pentecost. Who says that God's not on the throne? Amen. Today we celebrate Pentecost and I want to go through today and just explain three different types of Pentecost because um, what, we, what we know is, might be different to what other people have experienced. But basically, Pentecost is when the church was birthed. The Holy Spirit came down in that upper room in Jerusalem and fell upon those disciples gathered there. And then it went from there to Judea and all the ends of the earth. And we are products of that. And if you are a member, if you are part of this church here today, Elam Church, Northampton, we are part of what we call a Pentecostal movement. So we are renowned for the day of Pentecost, because the day of Pentecost was when also, when the believers had a personal experience of God through the Holy Spirit. The word Pentecost is not that exciting, actually. It literally means 50 days. 
So if we were to backtrack what we were doing 50 days ago, in fact, seven weeks ago, we were having Easter. We were celebrating Easter. So Pentecost was counted 50 days after Easter, and then they would celebrate Pentecost. But it didn't start in that upper room. Pentecost isn't just about the church today and all that we know it. In fact, the very first Pentecost was a long, long time ago, and it was in the Old Testament. And so the Old Testament, they would celebrate this this thing called Feast of Weeks. And the very, very first one was in Exodus 19. And it says this, on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain. And it was very loud. And there was trumpet blasts so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpets grew louder and louder, Moses spoke And God answered him by thunder. You see, what had just happened was God, the saviour of the Israelites, had led his people out of slavery in Egypt. And so they'd gone through all the the turmoil and, and gone through the Red Sea. And now they had hit the land that God had promised them. They were getting ready to disperse into it. But the day after or in fact, I should say, 50 days after they had been escaped from Egypt, they find themselves at Mount Sinai. 50 days after. It's a Pentecost day because it's simply 50 days. And at this mountain, God comes in thunder. He comes in lightning. In fact, it just represents the very presence of Almighty God that it was shocking, that it was loud, that the earth trembled, the mountain shook, and the people were so afraid that they had to stay at the foot of the mountain. They didn't go up the mountain because they would be killed. Only Moses could go face to face with Almighty God. But Moses went up this mountain, Sinai, and when he came down, God had given him the law, the Torah, And so that was the very first Pentecost where God had crashed into earth, so to speak. He came to release his people and he came to give them a gift and he gave them the gift of the law. And what he was doing was trying to help them to live godly lives, to to live lives where they would be blessed, where they would prosper. But as we know, there is no one that can live according to God's law. It is just too high. In fact, a part of the law was getting right with God. And they would do this by getting an animal and sacrificing it. So if they were messing up, if they were doing rubbish, they call it sin. Sin separates us from a relationship with God. And when the Israelites messed up and did wrong stuff, it was called sin. A bit like today, when we mess up, when we do wrong stuff, it's still called sin. And it still separates us from God. So God made a way 
where they could sacrifice an animal. In other words, they could blame all their stuff on the animal and it would die on the altar. Then God would forgive them and then they could go about their business. But it was only temporary. They had to keep coming back year after year and saying sorry to God and slaughtering animals in their place of their sin. It was often a lamb And the lamb was symbolic. It represented the atonement. It represented that their sin had been taken away for a season and that they were sorry. Do you know, even in our relationships today, the thing that separates us most in our relationship, the thing that puts a block between us and the people we love and the people we care about or the people we do life with is because we don't say sorry when we mess up. So a sin can be a small thing or it can be a gigantic thing. But God is looking to us to say sorry for that sin. And when we say sorry, he forgives us and we're reconciled to him. I think that maybe even in church today, there's some of us that need to go to someone and say, hey, I'm sorry, I messed up. And then that opens up the doorways to be reconciled again in that relationship So that was a a, a little brief explanation of part of the law that was given to them on this gigantic mountain when God came down to earth in this crashing thunderstorm and fire. And it was called Pentecost simply because it was 50 days after they'd left Egypt. And then they had to keep this festival as a memory, as a reminder. So Pentecost, which was also called the Feast of Weeks, the Jews would celebrate to remember when God came down to earth on the mountain and gave them the law, when God took them out of the slavery of Egypt, when he redeemed them and when he set them free. And so year after year after year, they would celebrate Pentecost and they would have, maybe they would have street parties and, and feasts and so forth. Maybe they would have a bank holiday. Maybe they would close the shops and close the schools and have time off work and just chill and whatever they did. They celebrated to remember God's goodness and all that he had done. But why don't you fast forward with me into the New Testament into Jerusalem. And this is the second Pentecost I want to share with you. Nothing had changed for the average Israelite. They still were celebrating their Pentecost in the same way, but there was something different because during all the hundreds of years of when they came out of Egypt, there were wars and fights and God had enough of them. And so he started to disperse them around the world. And so they still had to keep this rule of coming back to celebrate the Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks. And so Jerusalem was the temple. Jerusalem was the place that they had to go to. And they would travel to Jerusalem as a pilgrimage to get their sacrifice, to get their lamb and say sorry to God for all their sins, to get right with God. But they would come from all over the world. And so Jerusalem at the time of Pentecost was the busiest it could ever be. And they came from everywhere, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, because there was something called the Jewish diaspora, and they were sent out everywhere. But this particular first century Pentecost was just a little bit more different. 
Not only would they have to pack up and travel all the way to Jerusalem to honor God with the Feast of Weeks, but there was something different going on. And as they packed up and left and they went into Jerusalem and I guess there were, all the hotels were full and there was just crowds in the streets and there was, there was a joyous sense of celebration, a bit like Blackpool in the illuminations, I don't know. But there was still something a little different going on. But most of them wouldn't have realized. You see, the, the difference about the next Pentecost was it was the first Pentecost after Jesus had gone to the cross. You see, Jesus Christ was the only real and true sacrificial lamb that takes away the sin of the world. And it just happened to be that when they were coming up and they were going to Jerusalem to celebrate their Old Testament style Pentecost, something had shifted, something had changed because they were taking lambs and goats and animals that were only temporary, get them right with God. But they were not truly aware that Jesus Christ had been slain once and for all. Only Jesus could have done that. Only Jesus qualified. And if we just backtrack 50 days since the day where Jesus died on the cross and then three days later, he was raised to life because the the grave could not hold him. Death could not hold him. He wasn't going to be just a temporary sacrifice. He was almighty God. He was going to rise up again. And three days later, he did. And then 10 days after he had ascended back to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, comes along Pentecost. I can just imagine the disciples, they knew that this Pentecost was going to be a bit hollow, a bit different, because why celebrate the old style Pentecost of bringing goats and sheep when when they'd lost Jesus? The disciples sat alone. They put themselves into the upper room and they prayed and maybe they fasted because they were at a loss of what was going to happen next They'd been around this guy, Jesus, for three years and they'd seen the miracles, they'd seen the wonders, they'd experienced it close hand and they were sure that this was the Messiah. They were sure that this was the one who was gonna give them the freedom they were looking for. He was the King of Kings, he was the Lord of Lords, he was the Prince of Peace, he was what they were praying for, what they were seeking for and yet he died on a cross. And then once he died on a cross, they were devastated They thought, did we get it wrong? Were we following the wrong guy? Following the wrong religion? And then in turmoil, they were jubilant when he rose again three days later and they met with him many times until he said, "Ah, I've got to go now, guys. My work is done here. You see, on the first Pentecost, there was a, a crossing of earth meeting heaven When God came down on the mountain of Sinai, he met with earth. It was heaven come down. There was a meshing of the two worlds. 
You see, there are two worlds that we operate in. There's the heaven and there's the earth. And when Eden started, when God created this world, there was one place. There was one world. And God walked with man in the Garden of Eden. But man messed up and so he had to separate. And then there became heaven and earth. But every now and then, there's, there's a moment that where they mesh together, where heaven comes down and meets with earth. And when that happens, there's explosive there's fire, there's storms, there is a Pentecost moment. But the disciples now sat alone because Jesus had gone again. They sat alone in the upper room and they knew what they were supposed to do because before Jesus had left the second time, he had told them, you are my disciples. You are gonna go out and do the work that I've done. Now I become less and you become more and you're gonna do greater works than me. And he anointed them, he breathed on them and he gave them a commission that they were to teach and train and make disciples of all nations and all the miracles they'd seen, all the wonders they'd seen, all the healings they'd experienced, they were to do the same in the name of Jesus. Huh, no pressure then. But Jesus was gone. And outside they could hear the crowds celebrating Pentecost. They could hear the bleating of the sheep as they were making their way to the temple to sacrifice them. And it just didn't make sense. But they remembered at the Last Supper when Jesus their Lord had said, I'm gonna go. He told them all about it. He told them that he was gonna die. He told them that he would be raised again. And he told them he would ascend into heaven. And he said, then, then, you ought to wait. You've gotta wait. They weren't told what they had to wait for apart from, it says, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. John baptized you with water, but in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They didn't really know what the Holy Spirit meant. They just knew that they had to wait. Have you ever had to wait? Have you ever had to wait for someone? Or worse still, have you ever had to wait for God? And in that waiting season, it stretches your faith. It causes you to trust more. And it's almost like a trapeze when you're flying through the air, as you do every day. When you're flying through the air on a trapeze, there's a moment when you let go and you are holding on to nothing. You haven't yet caught what you're supposed to catch. You haven't got to the place where you're supposed to be going. You haven't stepped into the next part of what you're supposed to be doing. And you're just hanging in the air that moment, but you're not really hanging because you are still moving towards your destiny and it's at those moments of waiting that God is causing us to trust him a little bit more he's working inside of us he's expanding our faith he's testing us and right now in this upper room that's what these believers were doing they were waiting they were praying they were waiting they couldn't do anything else but they knew that help was coming they knew that someone else was coming because Jesus said this, I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another counsellor. He'll give you another friend. He'll give you another helper. But this one is gonna be with you forever. 
He's going to be the spirit of truth. The world can't accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him. And the reason why Jesus said to them, you know him, because it was God. God, the triune God, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. They are all intertwined, connected, and he's, he's sending himself as the Holy Spirit. And he says he will live with you and he will be in you. I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And in this scripture, Jesus is promising to send the Holy Spirit, but he actually turns it around and says, I will come to you. They're waiting. They're waiting for a promise from heaven. They're waiting for heaven to invade earth, to invade their space, to invade their being with a supernatural power. Right now, they are in a, in a limbo situation because there is going to be a, a baton change. You know when you're in a relay race and, and you have to change the baton, the, the outgoing runner is, is, is still running and the incoming runner runs and catches up and then there is an exchange of baton. And when the new runner gets the baton, now it's his race and the other runner ducks out. There is a baton exchange coming. Jesus has left the earth. The Holy Spirit is about to step in. And this is it. This is the Pentecost moment. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound like blowing, rushing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Doesn't that remind you of the first one? Sorry, I've tripped. Doesn't it remind you of the first time when they were on the mountain in Sinai and there was thunder, there was lightning, there was a noise. And here they are in first century Jerusalem, still waiting, but a rushing wind comes in. But more than that, they saw what seemed like tongues of fire that separated and came to each one of them and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. What I like about this is that God went to all of them. There was a visible, tangible sign that the Holy Spirit had broken through it says a violent wind. <laughs> the violent wind represents the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, you can't see it. It's invisible. But you can feel it. And they can even hear it. Because this Pentecost is different. This Pentecost is not just going down to rest on a mountain. But this Pentecost is going down to rest on men and women of God to transform them, to put inside of them the Holy Spirit of God, where God would abide, where God would dwell, as Donna said, within his children. The Old Testament Pentecost was God giving the gift of the law. What a great gift that would be. But the New Testament Pentecost is God giving the gift of his Holy Spirit. Jesus is God. And Jesus had broke through 
onto earth. He came from heaven. He came down to earth. And just now, there is the third part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. It's now his turn. And he comes down to earth and he steps onto the world stage. In the Old Testament, we have the preeminence of God the Father. Throughout the Gospels, we have the preeminence of God the Son. And now, through Acts and the Epistles and the days that we live, we have the preeminence as God the Holy Spirit. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. All are full and equally, powerfully, almighty God. You know, our heads don't just get around that very well. But if I can put it like this, the Holy Spirit is God invading the hearts of men and women. The presence of heaven has not just come down and invaded a space or a place, but the presence of heaven, almighty God through the Holy Spirit has come down to invade the hearts and minds and beings of the believers. You see, the wind, although it was invisible, it was tangible, it represented the presence of God. Who can see the presence of God? But the wind was only inside the house. I don't know about you, but there was a bit of a storm last night and I could hear the wind and, and the trees blowing against my windows and I could, I could hear the rain coming down. And at times it woke me up. It was disturbing. And this was really disturbing. But this storm came inside a house. The storm didn't go outside the house. The trees weren't blowing. There wasn't any rain outside. The storm came inside the house. It didn't come inside the house to damage the house. But it came inside the house to represent that this God is an internal inside God. He wants to reside inside of us. He wants to do his work. He wants to do an inside out job within us. And so the Holy Spirit came and filled the waiting believers. You know, in Genesis 2, God made Adam. He made a man. He made a body. He made a, a human being. But nothing happened to that human being until God breathed his breath into the nostrils of Adam. And then Adam became a living, real, breathing being. In Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel prophesied to the dry bones and something miraculous happened. The dry bones all knit together. But that's as far as they got. Nothing else happened to the body of dry bones until God came along and blew his breath over those bones. In both these instances, we're representing the breath of God. It is the Holy Spirit power of God bringing life where there is deadness, bringing hope where there is hopelessness. Is there anybody in here today or watching online 
that is in need of that Ruach breath of God. The Holy Spirit that breathes power, the Holy Spirit that fills us, the Holy Spirit that equips us, the Holy Spirit that can bring life into dry bones. The the Holy Spirit doesn't just bring life into dry bones, but brings life into dry marriages, into dry visions and dry dreams and, and dry ministries. Wherever you are dry, wherever you are weary right now, the Holy Spirit of God wants to breathe a freshness onto your life. Because in him, in him, we live and move and have our being. We see the Holy Spirit descending upon them like a wind, but also it descends like a fire. The tongues of fire land on each of them, every one of them. In fact, I can imagine them sat there and that that might be oblivious to the, the tongue of fire on their head. That is weird. That is scary. But they can see it on others. And I could just imagine them saying, hey, hey, you've got fire on your head. There was once I went to a, a, a conference that I was speaking at. And it was a women's conference. And it was really pretty. And they had candles everywhere on the tables. And I remember leaning over and, and talking to someone. And my hair was wafting in the candle. And as I walked towards the stage, my, my hair was a, a, bowl, a, a ball of flames on fire. And luckily, someone put me out really quickly. You see... It's easy for us to catch fire when we're in the right place with the right heart and the right mind and the right attitude. You know what? Even sometimes we don't have to be all together, but we have to be hungry. We have to be inviting. We need the power of the Holy Spirit upon our lives and within our lives. And there they were with these tongues of fire, not quite like my hair, the tongues of fire on their head. And it was a sign that the Holy Spirit was coming to anoint them. You see, in in the temple days, when they went to the temple to sacrifice their sheep and their their animals, they, they would place the animal on the altar and the altar would burn up the animal they couldn't approach the altar. They, 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 were, they, they had to stay their distance. If they got too close, they would burn. And so they would put the animal on the altar and the temple fire would burn the animal and it would represent, it was burning away the sin of their life. It was purging. It was cleansing. And right now in this upper room, the tongues of fire are representing the burning, the cleansing, the purging of everything bad. It's purifying them. It's honing them. And also it's illuminating. You see, they'd been given a commission. They had something to do from God. And yet they found themselves hidden, fearful in an upper room. And the Holy Spirit comes along and all of a sudden illuminates their path. Remember in the Old Testament where God was the pillar of fire by night so that Israelites could find their way. The Holy Spirit comes upon us and it illuminates our lives. It illuminates our way. Sometimes we just don't know which way to turn and we need the illumination of the Holy Spirit. But this is what troubles me sometimes. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. 
Now remember what I said at the beginning that all the Jews came from all over the world. In fact, all over the known world at that time. It was an international, multicultural gathering. You see, the Jews had been sent to so many different countries. And when they settled in those countries and they had children, their children's children had children, they would, they would adapt to the lifestyle and the cultures and the languages and the ways of the countries that they had made home. So when they gather together, they no longer all speak the same language. They no longer have the same culture. They no longer longer have the same sort of ethnicity because they have mixed with so many races and so many countries. And yet for the for the temple festival, they gather together at this moment of Pentecost in Jerusalem. It is truly an international, multicultural place. And there are counted at least 15 languages that they are speaking. They've come from Africa. They've come from Asia. They've come from Europe. But there is one thing that has drawn them together, even though they are very, very different. They are Jewish by identity. That makes me think about the church. That makes me think about Elam Church, Northampton. But it makes me think about the church worldwide. You see, we all have different languages. We all have different cultures. We all have different ethnicities. We have all have different nationalities. We all have different quirks. We are so, so very different. And yet we gather together because we identify together with Christ. We are one Christian family with one identity. In fact, I can go as far as to say we have the same blood. We have the same DNA of Jesus Christ. And so we have one spirit. Why don't you just say hi to your brother, hi to your sister, because we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And so they are in this place of Pentecost. They've come for a celebration They've come for the temple gathering. They've come from many different cultures and many different languages. And yet, they hear the disciples speaking in their own language. Now, if you think about if there was 20 disciples, there might not have been more, there might have been less, but if there was 20 of them, that's still not enough to cover everyone. And so every person in the gathering there, and there were thousands and thousands of them, they heard the disciples speaking in their mother tongue. So they understood the glory of God. They understood the preaching. They understood what was being said. And some scholars have said, yeah, there was like a divine translator going on, or there was a divine translation. And some have said it was the heavenly language. And some have called tongues a language and some have called tongues a heavenly language. But whatever it was, and I don't know where you sit on that, but whatever it was, it was miraculous. For so many different people of different languages to come together and hear their own language being spoken to them by someone who hadn't learned their language, it was a miracle. It was supernatural. It was spirit-empowered speaking. It transcended human ability. For me, it was another heaven and earth moment where they meshed together, where God came down and met earth. Another crescendo moment. 
You see, there are things called temple spaces. They're holy grounds. If you think of Moses, when he, when he was at the burning bush, it was a holy ground and God said to him, take your sandals off because you are on holy ground. It was a place where God had come down to earth and created that place as being holy and it was represented by the fire, the glory of God. It was his presence, a heavenly presence that had come down to earth for a moment The wind came down. The fire came down. They were heavenly moments. And even in this place today, the Holy Spirit comes down from heaven. It is a holy moment. It is a heaven and earth moment. There's a guy called William Seymour. Back in the 1900s, he was on a place called Azusa Street in America. And the Holy Spirit came down upon his little church. And night after night, they experienced the blessing and glory and the power of the Holy Spirit. And then it went from there and it went all around the earth. It went to the Welsh revival and many thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people got born again by the power of God. Many people got filled with the Holy Spirit The Holy Spirit changed and transformed lives. You see, there is a temple moment, a temple space where God invades earth. I wonder if the band could come back right now. There was a moment, I was in a place in Toronto and the Holy Spirit came upon me It was so powerful that I had no strength and I just had to (laughs) fall under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And as I lay there, there was a rushing loud wind sound. It felt like, it felt like rushing water. It was powerful, it was noisy. And at the same time, I just sensed that I was caught up in the presence of God. That moment did change my life. There were other things that happened, healings and restoration. But I wonder today, if you've come in this place, or I wonder today as you're watching online that that you are hungry for the Holy Spirit to come and touch your life. Are you hungry? Are you longing for a heaven on earth moment where heaven invades your space? Are you empty today? Or are you quite full? It says in Ephesians 5, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, I've got a gas boiler and it's got a little flame on it and the flame is constantly there. But I don't need the heating on all the time. Maybe my husband does, but I don't. But when I need the heating on, I see that thing fire up and I can hear it fire up. And there are moments in our lives where we need to be filled and refreshed and filled again and fired up with the Holy Spirit. At Ephesus, Paul asked, 
Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, we haven't even heard of it. We haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. So when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. I wonder today in this place, would you want to ask God for a Holy Spirit moment where God would come down from heaven and break through into your space, into your place and fill you with his presence. His presence sometimes is unexplainable. His presence sometimes is just full of grace, full of love, at times full of power and noisy, at times fiery like the tongues of fire. But when His Holy Spirit came down to those people in that upper room, it changed and transformed their lives forever. Peter became emboldened. Peter became empowered and he preached his first message and 3,000 people got saved that day. 3,000 people decided to trust in Jesus Christ. When the people heard this noise, they were cut to the heart and they said, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord your God will call. I wonder in this place today, Do you know for sure that Jesus is your Lord and Saviour? I wonder today in this place whether you've got some stuff going on in your life that, that is blocking your relationship with God. And you don't need to go and find a, a sheep to sacrifice. No, Jesus has done that for you. All you need to do is say, I'm sorry that I believe that you took my sin away. If you're in this place or watching online right now, maybe you want to say this prayer with me and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. Dear Lord Jesus, I am sorry that I've messed up. I'm sorry that I've created a barrier between me and you. And although I don't understand it all, I ask you right now to come into my life and to fill me with this Holy Spirit that I've heard about today. To fill me completely. Forgive me of my sins. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've said that prayer for the first time, please don't leave this place without connecting with someone so we can share some literature with you. But if you are a believer in this place right now, and maybe you just want a freshness, why don't you stand to your feet right now? If you're hungry 
If you want more of the Holy Spirit, today is the day of Pentecost. Today we remember the day when heaven came down to earth and the power of the Holy Spirit. Today is the day where we can receive new anointing, where we can see, receive fresh beginning, where we can receive the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Reach your arms up right now. And Lord, Lord, we ask you right now, we ask you, Lord, to fill us afresh in the power and the strength and the anointing and the freedom of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place. Holy Spirit, we need you in this place. Holy Spirit, we invite you into our place, afresh into our hearts. Fill, Lord, fill, renew, renew. Right now, all over this place, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, we don't want to go out the same as we came in. We want to go out filled with the glory of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let's give God the glory. Thank you.